Spurgeon said this, there's a war between thee and God's law. The Ten Commandments are against thee. The first comes forward and says, let him be cursed, for he denies me. He has another God besides me. His God is his belly. He yieldeth homage to his lust. All ten commandments, like ten great cannons, are pointed at thee. For you have broken all God's statutes and lived in daily neglect of all his commands. So, wilt thou find it a hard thing to go to war with the law? What will ye do when the law comes in terror, when the trumpet of the archangel shall tear you from your grave, when the eyes of God shall burn their way into your guilty soul, when the great books shall be opened and all your sin and shame shall be punished. The message this morning is called Good News, Bad News. I'm reminded of a pastor who was uh, looking for a parking spot downtown and he only had so much money with him at that time before credit cards. And uh, he put in what he had and went to do what he had to do. And uh, when he came back, there was a police officer who was, who was writing a, a ticket uh, on, his, uh, on his window. And he walked up to him and he said, uh, forgive us our trespasses? And the officer said, uh, lead us not into temptation. Here you go. This morning, we're going to talk about the good news and the bad news in the Bible. How could you have bad news in the Bible? I want to talk to you briefly about the law of God. Call it the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, and the purpose of the law. We're doing a series on evangelism and how to tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe the first video clip that you saw, you might think, man, that's not good news. That is not good telling people those kinds of things, really. Well, I want to give a little bit of a backdrop, but uh, I want you to know that grace always wins, always. So the, the Ten Commandments, it, it, the, the purpose of the, of the law that God gave us was really multifaceted. One of those was to show us that we're guilty and we're really without excuse. Aren't we really good at that? Aren't we good at making excuses? And even in that video clip, did you find that many people believe that, that, um, that they're okay with God, but really didn't have much of a basis for why they believe that? Well, the Ten Commandments kind of levels the playing field. And it, it shows us that we're guilty and we are without excuse. Romans 3.19 says, obviously, the law applies to those it, it was given. That would be us. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is what does it say? Guilty before God. Acts chapter 24 bears this out in verse 24 and 25. Paul the Apostle is having a discussion and it says in verse 24, A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, uh, sending for Paul. They listened as he told them about faith in Jesus Christ, as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the coming day of judgment. Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. Another thing that the law does is it tells us what sin is. It defines what sin is. You see, it's not a good thing when we determine for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. It's just not a good thing. We need someone else. We need something else collectively to tell us what's right and what's wrong or else we'll make it up as we go. And we'll say things like, whatever is right for you is right for you. 
And whatever's right for you is right for you. And though they might be opposed to one another, let's call them both truth, even though they're opposite from one another. And two things that go in opposite directions can't both be true. But that's what we do. We do that in our society. And so sin defines what sin is. Culture doesn't. Music doesn't. Television doesn't. It turns out God's law defines right and wrong. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And it tells us what's right and what's wrong. The law is like a ruler that tells us what's straight. Tells us what is sinful. Romans 7, 7 says, In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known what cov- that coveting is wrong if the law had not uh, uh, said, you must not covenant, covet. So Paul says it defines what sin is. And so we can't just arbitrarily make things up as we go and say, this is wrong. Oh, that's okay. Well, you know what? That used to be wrong. Now it's okay now. You can't do that because that leads to confusion. And ultimately, if we live in a society like that, the people with the power will tell us what's right and what's wrong whether we agree or not. You know, my mom was German. There was a time in Germany when Nazi Germany told you what was right and what was wrong. The law was designed to bring people to Christ. Can you say amen to that? And you might listen to what Ray Comfort was saying to those people, and you might think, how in the world could that bring people to Christ? The purpose of the law, among many things, was to bring people to grace. See, the law was designed to be a heavy yoke, a heavy burden, like trying to lift more weight than you can carry, but not just a little bit more weight. You can't even get it. It'll crush you. That's the purpose of the law. So you think, man, I can't keep these commandments. I can't keep them all the time. I, if, I don't, if I don't keep them with my words, I'm supposed to keep them with my thoughts. And if I can't keep them with my words and my thoughts, I've got to keep them with what I do. It's impossible. And the Lord says, right, that's to bring you to grace. Galatians 3.24 says, therefore, the law was our tutor, a schoolmaster to do what? To bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And so the purpose, one of the purposes of the law, was to bring us to grace. You remove the law, how will you get to grace? Yes, Hitler said this. He said, history will recognize our movement as the great battle for humanity's liberation. A liberation from the curse of Mount Sinai. What's Mount Sinai? The law. God is a tyrant who orders one to do the very things one doesn't like. What's he saying? Remove the law. Remove Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Get rid of that. And then live as you please. Yeah, how'd that work out? Yeah, not too well. Well, among other things, uh, if, we, if we're calling witnesses to what's right or what's wrong, we also have a conscience. Isn't it great that God gave us a conscience? I was talking to a parent one time uh, when I was teaching school and, and their son had, you know, done some things that wasn't cool in class and, they, and, and the son hadn't come to the father yet to talk about it. And, and the father said, no, he will, he will. I go, you sure? He goes, yeah, you know why? I go, why? He goes, conscience is a beautiful thing. <laughs> I said, oh, I don't have to remember that one. Our conscience also tells us what's right or wrong. Romans 2, verse 14 through 15 says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. 
even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is what? Written on their hearts. So we have the Ten Commandments, but God doesn't just leave it there. He also writes it on our hearts. So we kind of know, you know, even if we're not, well, I'm going to tell you what, when I was not walking with Jesus Christ, I did not have a relationship. I knew, you didn't have to tell me what I was doing was wrong. I already knowed it. <laughs> I knew it, you know, but I just kept doing it repeatedly so I could convince myself and quiet that thing inside of me called what? Conscience. Okay. Yeah, uh, but it's God's laws written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus' conversation with a woman. It's a familiar scripture to many of us in John chapter 4, and it is becoming, if not one of my favorite scripture verses. Now, as we go through this, I want you to, I want you to see the, the, the love of Jesus in this. And you could say, even though he's not the Father... Okay, but you can see a father's heart in Jesus. Is it okay to say that? We understand God is our father, but we also understand that Jesus has a heart, right, uh, for people and, and, and the heart of a father. And so last week, uh, we looked at the evangelist Philip, who had sparked a, a great revival in Samaria. Um, then he had spoke to an Ethiopian eunuch who uh, went back to Ethiopia with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, um, and, and to give you a little cultural background for where we are, opposition is rising uh, from the Pharisees, but it wasn't quite the right time for Jesus to confront them. So he leaves Jeris Jerusalem and goes north uh, uh, toward Galilee, right through Samaria. And we talked about the Samaritans a little bit last week. But uh, the Samaritans, among many things, had, had uh, designed this counterfeit place of worship at a place called Mount Gerizim. And about 150 years prior to this, uh, that uh, place was destroyed. And so there was even more hatred. And so they developed this place of worship because the, the place of worship was supposed to be Jerusalem. And they're like, man, we don't want to go all the way to Jerusalem. We're going to have our own place over here. Well, that didn't work out too well for them. Uh, on this piece of land that Jesus is having this conversation with is, a, is what's called Jacob's well. And you might remember Jacob from the Old Testament. And so it was kind of a, uh, uh, and, and literally this well was owned by Jacob. So this was kind of a, kind of a holy place. Now, twice a day, in the morning and in the evening, women would go to the well to get water, all right? And I want you to note that this conversation that Jesus is having with this woman didn't happen in the morning or in the evening, but it happened at a time when everybody else was gone, and there's purpose for that. So we're in John chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, and it says this. It says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, many times what the Jews would do when they had to go to uh, the other side, uh, uh, go north, is they would go around Samaria. I mean, they had such hatred for the, for the Samaritans. It's like, no, I'm not going through that neighborhood. I'll go all the way around it. Okay? So it says, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, 
You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Okay, we're talking, our series is called I Illuminate. And it's about being a light wherever God has planted, planted you and being a witness that is testifying to what you know to be true about Jesus Christ to others. So we're going to learn many things from this. The first thing I want you to see is that it says that he had to go. He didn't have to go through Samaria. Oh, but he had to go through Samaria because everything that Jesus did had purpose. There was a reason for everything. Sometimes he would, he would take a, a, a conventional route. Sometimes he would take a different route. Sometimes he would, he would go immediately. Sometimes he would delay or he, was, he, he would wait. He always had a purpose to everything that he did. There's a song out. You can check it out. Uh, it's called He's Intentional. It's a great song about how intentional God is, right? And uh, it made me think about this, and I was blessed to be able to go to Hope House on Thursday night and share a little bit of my testimony. And my, my key scripture was Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans that I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope in the future. You will call upon me when you call upon me, uh, and I will hear you. You'll find me if you search for me with all of your heart. But God says, I have a plan for you. And the context of when God said that to his people was they were, they were in rebellion to him. And he's describing all the things that are going to happen to them while they're in Babylon and how bad it's going to be. And he says, oh, I have a plan for you. I, in, in, the, in the midst of all that, he gives them hope and says, don't worry. You know what? This is not good. It's not, but I, you're going to be here 70 years. Settle down. Don't squirm. But I, I, have, I know the plans that I have for you. I have plans to prosper you. And, and it just made me think about being on purpose. And, and I, I, I had my, asked myself, am I on purpose? I mean, it's not that I, 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 I try to super spiritualize or over spiritualize everything in my life. But, but am I living on purpose? Am I living with a goal or destination? We're, we're talking about evangelism here. So am I, am I intentional about praying? Remember what Jesus said? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. It's like, man, 2,000 years ago, nobody's going to the harvest, right? Uh, the, 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 the labors are few. What, and what did he say to do? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And we said, start with you, Right? Start, am I intentional about praying? I mean, do, do I say, God, bring someone in my life that doesn't know Christ today. Lord, help me to be ready. Help me to be intentional. And, and, and then am I discerning? Are my eyes open? Am I looking? Or I'm just busy about my stuff? Yeah, that's the first thing I got out of this. You know what? He had to go. He had to go. I wonder if the disciples said, yo, man, why are we going through Samaria? You know, we got issues with the Samaritans, man. You're going to stretch us again. Here we go. We got to go deal with these people. I don't know what the conversation. Maybe that conversation didn't happen. And I imagine Jesus saying, oh, no, no, we're going through Samaria. Maybe the disciples went, oh, man, why? Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's like I tell my kids when they go, why? You know, when they were younger, I, I used to get away with that. Why, Daddy? I go, don't worry about it. Now they want to read. Now I can't say that anymore. I have to tell them why. I have to have this discussion. And why? Well, because to break it down, right? That's what a dad does. He breaks it down sometimes. Not always. When they're young, you go, don't worry about it. I want you to see this also about Jesus. He's tired. You ever think about that? Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. 
He's gassed. He's tired. You ever think about the humanity of Jesus? What makes, what makes him so unique? I mean, and then there's a, a billion things, is that he was human. I mean, he got hungry. He, he cried. Uh, he got angry, but not angry to the point of sin. Uh, he's tired. Uh, he, 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 don't, don't ever forget that. So like when you're like, Lord, I'm too tired to do this. Don't ever forget that Jesus is like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. And it made me think of this. If I'm going to authentically love others, it will be exhausting sometimes. It, authentically. See, if I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get involved in the doo-doo of other people's lives, it, it's going to be exhausting sometimes. And, and you know what else I wrote down? Is if I'm going to authentically love people, sometimes it's going to be inconvenient for me. <laughs> going to be like, oh, no, not now. Come on. Not now. Could you imagine? Jesus is tired. I don't know about you, but, but there are times when I'm tired. It's like, man, I don't want to be around nobody. I, I just want to be all by myself. And there could be a need right in front of me. I'm like, dude, tomorrow, man. No, I'm tired. And, and you know, Jesus doesn't think he's tired. The last thing that I might want to do is get into some conversation about someone, about stuff. And, I'm, man, I don't even want, no, man. I'm, man you know, remember what he said? I have to go through. No, he already knew there was a divine uh, uh, encounter that was going to take place. So he was tired physically, but he was ready spiritually. Oh, can I be that? Can I be tired physically, but ready spiritually? Man, I want to be. So he sees a Samaritan woman. Okay, not good. Why are you coming to the well at noon? She's all alone. They're all alone. If you're a rabbi, that's O for two. First of all, you are having a discussion with the woman which rabbis did not do. Secondly, you're all alone with this woman. And thirdly, as we see, she's got some baggage. She's got some stuff that, uh, that she's gone through. And he asked her a question. And she's done. He goes, could you give me a drink? I, and she's like, what? But think about this. And she explains it. How is it that you, being a Jew and even a rabbi, ask me to get you a drink? It's amazing. I want to say this to that. Can I say that he dignifies her by asking her to do something for him? He dignifies. Listen to this. He dignifies her. Listen, here's what he's saying in that. I know you're a Samaritan woman. I know you're rejected by the culture as an immoral, unclean woman. I know that socially you're an outcast. I know that. And you've come to this well when nobody else is around because of shame and guilt. You've been used and abused by men. You have no value and no self-esteem. But could you please get me a drink? Brilliant. Brilliant. He's reaching down deep into, here's a man asking me for something and it's not my body. But a drink. 
She's stunned that he would ask her to do something. Can I say this? I believe we devalue people when we, ask, when we don't ask them to do something when they need the church's help or support. I believe we devalue people when we don't ask them to do something when they need our help or support. Now, when it's appropriate, because it isn't always. But in much of our outreach, we miss the opportunity to dignify people by asking them to do something. When it's appropriate to ask them to work for it. I would love to one day have a, a, uh, uh, like a clothing pantry. I would love to have that one day. But I promise you, if we do, God willing, it will be different. Because the first time, it's for free. The next time, let us know when you're coming back to help us out and work. And then you will gain credit towards purchase. And then you can buy, you work, then you get clothes. That dignifies people. And there will be a lot of people say, well, I just want the free clothes. Well, you need to go down the road then because you don't really need it. Because you, you, you are not uh, working, you're not we're, we're cheating you out of an opportunity to, 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 to dignify you. Does that make sense? God showed me that. I thought, man, how cool is that? See, I, I think that's... Now, it's not always appropriate. Don't, no, I understand that. But I'm saying in general, man, you ask someone to do something? It's like, oh, oh so let me get this straight. If I get this two pounds of pork chops, I got to come back next week and work? Yeah. You're able to, aren't you? Probably ain't got nothing going on. <laughs> Is that okay? Is that good? Hey, listen. Years ago, we went on a, uh, a mission trip to Mexico with some, some teenagers. And back when I was a youth pastor, anybody and everybody could go to anything at any time. <laughs> you know what? Bring your friends. They're not Christian. Perfect, <laughs> right? Well, we had a young man one time that uh, I wanted him to go to Mexico so bad. You got to go to this. He goes, I don't have any money. And I go, don't worry about it, man. We'll find someone to support you. He goes, eh, okay. And he went. And we had a great time. And, and it was cool. And afterwards, I said, hey, what did you, uh, how, how, did you, how did you enjoy the trip? Was it cool? Did you, what did you get out of it? You know, a little debrief. And he goes, you know what? It was good. Thanks for letting me go. But I, I actually think it would have meant more to me if I worked for it. And I went, I got it. <laughs> From this point on, nobody gets a free ride. You work for it. Doesn't it dignify our youth to go work at a fireworks booth for five days? Hard labor? Yeah. You want to go to camp? Can you come to the fireworks booth? Yeah. Okay. That dignifies them. It teaches them a valuable lesson. All right. I want you to also notice this about Jesus' conversation with this woman. He started on common ground. It's important to do that. They both needed water. There was an issue there. The next thing he does takes some courage. And this is interesting to me. Because he swings the conversation uh, to the spiritual conversation. Verse 10 says this. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, she's still thinking about water in the ground. 
But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Like, okay, you seem to be a nice man, but you ain't no Jacob, okay? Right? How, do you, how can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, listen to this. Listen, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty. What does it say? Again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them, here's the gift, eternal life. And, and she's like, Sir, give me this water. I want it. And here's why. So I'll never be thirsty again, don't have to come to this stupid well anymore. <laughs> She missed the part about eternal life. She missed that. She missed that. See, she, she engages in this conversation, but, but they're not talking about the same kind of water. Sometimes you can use uh, 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 the physical realm because it parallels the spiritual realm. Oh, she's thirsty, okay. See, Jesus is saying, oh, no, you, know, you, are, you, you need this water right here. This is not what you need. You need something much greater than this. See, it turns out that our bodies get thirsty, but it turns out our soul gets thirsty. And we go to the well when our soul gets thirsty. But wait, what's that well for you? Where do you go when your soul is thirsty? What do you drink of? What well do you drink out of? Oh, it could be many. It could be status. It could be wealth. It could be how we look, what others think of us, popularity, attention, relationships, sex, success, safety. Those are all wells. And Jesus says, you drink of that well, you're going to keep coming back all, every day because it will never satisfy. That's what he's talking about. What, what well do you go to? What water are you drinking of? <clears throat> At 19 years old, he competed in his first Olympics in Beijing. USA Diving's Male Athlete of the Year in 2008, David Bodia, was heading for what proved to be an immensely successful diving career. But that happiness, he says, was elusive. Throughout 2008, he says, I was chasing after so many things that never lasted. At the end of the Olympic Games in 2008, I walked away and I looked around and I was like, all right, that's it. He became depressed and jumped into the college party scene. One day, the depression got so severe, he couldn't even get out of bed. I woke up from a nap and I felt like I'd hit a wall. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. A diving teammate at Purdue University directed Bodia to his coach. Of all people, Bodia called uh, Adam uh, Soldati and went over his house and, and he sat and listened to him and his wife, uh, Kimiko, talk about Jesus. Soldati said the hopelessness he saw in Bodia is common among elite athletes. 
They're holding on to their sport to, uh, to ultimately define them, to, keep that, to give them a sense of identity, can I say, to fill their well, to drink. But guess what? For him, it probably it wasn't working. But that satisfaction ultimately is going to be found in Jesus, Soldati said. Bodia listened and continued to meet with Soldati and share, who shared the Bible with him. A few weeks later, he surrendered his life to Christ. He was baptized. His conversion marked a distinct shift in his life. He handles frustration in a better way, is less obsessed with his own performance, and has changed his focus to others and at the 2012 Summer Olympics, Bodia and his diving partner, Nicholas McCrory, won bronze in the synchronized 10-meter platform. And in the 10-meter platform, he won gold. And I remember the interview where he said, at the end of the day, this medal does not define me. But it's my relationship in Jesus that defines who I am. <laughs> ah. Jesus is the one who can satisfy your spiritual thirst. A cup of cold water will satisfy your physical thirst. But only Jesus will satisfy your spiritual thirst. Now the next thing Jesus does is he speaks a word of knowledge. Now, a word of knowledge is a supernatural gift where God downloads something into someone that they would n have no way of knowing had not God told them. It's pretty cool when it operates correctly. Someone says, I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. And you're like, how did you know that? Because you're like, nobody knows that. It's the equivalent of somebody reading your email or better than email. I guess that's snail mail now. It's the equivalent of God sometimes telling other people the secrets of your heart for the purposes of drawing you close to him or to bring healing. And what he does is he confronts her with the law. He speaks to her conscience by telling her that she's violated the seventh commandment about faithfulness in marriage. Verse 16 through 18. This is what Jesus says. Are you ready for this? I can't believe he said this. I can't. I really can't. I can't believe he went there. And he did. Remember, the purpose of the law is to bring us to grace. He says, go get your husband. Oh, here we go. Uh-uh. He did not say that to you. Does he know? who? Yes, he does. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Oh, I'm single. I don't have a husband. And I wonder if she's like, where's he going with this? Mm. You're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. <laughs> How did he know that? Unbelievable. I... How many of you know that changed the whole conversation right there? Yeah, he goes there. But guess what? He doesn't start there. He doesn't sit down at the well, and he doesn't say, so where's your husband? No, no, he, do he doesn't start there. He starts by dignifying her 
and respecting her and honoring her by saying, could you get me a drink? Do you see that? See, we're never going to reach people for Jesus if we don't honor them as human beings. Never. He knew that. He knew this story about her. He doesn't, he doesn't, he goes there, but he doesn't start there. And he uses the law to bring about the knowledge of sin. It's a common thing that Jesus did. Remember the story of the rich young ruler who says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes right to the commandments. You know the commandments, the ones that have to do with dealing with other people. And he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything, give the money away to the poor and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. Apparently, he's not following all the Ten Commandments from his youth. At some point, we have to be bold enough to do what? Speak the truth in love. And that means bringing up some uncomfortable subjects. And that means maybe even discussing the law with someone. I mean, you might say this to someone. I've said this before. You might say, if you died today, are you absolutely sure you'd go to heaven? And I get all kind of interesting responses. Oh, yeah, man, just like in the video. Yeah, oh, for sure. I believe in heaven. I believe I'm going there. Why do you believe that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. This woman thought in error that Jesus' words would make her life easier. So she's interested. After he reads her mail, she thinks she's going to change the subject. But she's really not. She brings up the issue of the right place to worship. She changes the subject. Jesus says the place of worship is not as important as the heart of the worshiper. Because back then, you had to go to the temple. Jesus says, you know what? No, no, this, this is not about the building. It's about the heart. And the time will come where worship won't be tied to geography or building. Verse 24 through 26. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Can't wait for him. That's going to be cool when the Messiah comes. And she's having a conversation with him, and Jesus says, I am the Messiah. And she went, oh. She got a one-on-one with Jesus. How many people got that? She did. Here's how she responds. It says in verse 27, Just then the disciples come back, and they're shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, What, what, did you, what, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? I get it, right? These guys come back, they're, uh, they're like, Oh my gosh, not only are we in Samaria, he's talking to a woman at the well. You ask him. Oh, no, you ask him. No, 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 no. I asked him last time. No, remember me? I stepped out on water. You ask him. No, no. And they, and they walk up, and there's this elephant in the room, and they're not saying a word. They're like, how you doing, Jesus? Hi. Hi. How you doing? here's the food you told us to bring. (laughs) Ah, They won't ask. Well, here's how this lady responds. Check this out, verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, Did we say to you she's probably not 
well-respected in her village. He's probably an outcast. He's probably uh, on, the, on the bottom uh, socially as far as the social scale of things. No one's going to listen to anything. No one listens to anything she has to say. She, ha- she has no friends. All she has are these guys that use and abuse her. And, and she comes back and she's loud and proud about Jesus. She's had this conversation with and she says, verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. What? Verse 20, 30, 39 through 42, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And they came out to see him. They begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message. And what? Believe. And they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard it. We have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. You know, the Lord will use unlikely evangelists sometimes, right? I promise you in high school, this was the least likely to lead an evangelistic crusade, this woman. This entire town gets turned. Many, many believe. Jesus stays there two extra days. And many believe. And they say, you know, we, we, it's, not, not, it's, not, it's no longer what we believe, our, we've heard for. See, and everybody has to come to that place. We can talk about Jesus all we want, but ultimately someone has to believe, not because of what we say, but because of what he says, ultimately. <clears throat> Despite her reputation, she went and told others. And they came to hear for themselves. And I love this. Now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. He is the Savior of the world. Whoa! Samaritans! Well, here's a few things in conclusion this morning. You know what? Take time to engage others. You never know how a simple thing like sitting at a well having a conversation could lead to an entire village coming to Christ. (laughs) See, sometimes with with the Lord, the things that we think are very mundane could be very, pro, uh, 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 I was going to say proactive. Um, they, they could be uh, incredible, <laughs> right? I, it's just a simple thing. It, I just ask the question. Boom. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know what? Find common ground. He did that. He did that. Um, you might want to write this one down. And some of you need to write it down. Ask more questions than answers that you give. I believe sometimes we turn people off because we're telling them answers to questions they're not asking. Take the time to ask questions. Does that make sense? Hey, you need Jesus in your life. Wait a minute, man. Uh, hold on, hold on. Who are you? What, 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 what? Wait a minute, man. I don't recall even asking of you about Jesus. Well, you need him anyway. Uh, okay, man, you know what? See, that's why I don't believe because of people like you. Maybe. I don't know. Ah, ask questions, then give answers. 
Hey, don't be afraid to share the law in love. Is that good? Don't be afraid to share the law. If all we do is tell people Jesus loves you, God is great, he has a plan for your life, but we never tell them you're guilty of breaking his law. That's a harder conversation, isn't it? It's easy to talk about the love of God, but then to talk about God as judge and judging us on the Ten Commandments, that can be a little bit harder conversation. And you've got to earn the right to get there. May we get there. May we get there. Is that cool? Great conversation, huh? It's inspiring stuff. I want to close in prayer, and then we're going to have our missions offering. And when I'm done praying, uh, we're going to um, uh, show you a video clip that we took in Seattle uh, with this missionary, Karen Grubbs. And a, a portion of what you give, excuse me, will go to support her and her ministry, as well as um, uh, Cece in Beijing, who is reaching out to mothers with children, and to Joshua and Stacy Statham, who are training up missionaries to go out and change the world. Their, their goal is to raise up a quarter million missionaries. That's a lofty goal. So that's where that uh, goes. But, but first, I want to button this up and just pray with you. And so, so Father, we thank you for, for your grace and for your mercy. And thank you for this, this incredible conversation that, that you had with this woman. And, um, uh, Lord, it, it gives us some knowledge on how we can reach out to others and how we can relate to others. Lord, we thank you that your, your law is, is written upon our hearts. It's not just something that's on a wall, but it's something that's in our hearts. We thank you for the conscience that you've given us that tells us that we're, we're not right with you. And Lord, maybe in this place, just maybe, there might be someone who's, who's, whose heart is convicted, who uh, who's, uh, uh, knows they're not right with you because their heart tells them you're, 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 you've, you've drifted away or, or you, you know about God, but you've never embraced him as, as your savior. Uh, but you recognize today, man, I don't, I don't know if I die today, if I'd go to, I don't know. I don't know. But, but I, 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 I hear that Jesus came, and if I would repent and turn and ask him to forgive me my sin, that he would do that. And I want to give you that opportunity, if that's you, and you would say, Jesus, come into my heart today. Um, and if you would use me for anything at all, I say, here I am, send me. But you recognize that the law of God is against you right now. But you also realize that it's a, it's a, a tutor to lead you to grace. And this morning you would say, that's what I need. I need the grace of God. That's what I need. And if that is you, would you raise your hand and, and just, I just want to make eye contact with you. Church, church is praying and it, it, it might be one or none or many more. I, anybody at all who would say yes, is that, would you lift up your hand right now? Anybody? I want to give you that opportunity. If you've never done it before, anybody? Anybody? All right. Thank you. All right, God. God, we thank you for all things and we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Today and this week, thank you for the dads in this place, the grandfathers and the dads-to-be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, can I have the ushers come forward? And uh, let's...